podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. This is Chris. And this is John. I got to admit, guys, you're in for a treat today. That's no joke. It goes down as one of the best episodes. We don't say that too often, and it does not involve psychology. So I would say most excited episode. Like the two of us afterwards, we were doing jump kicks and fist pumps into the air. I'm pretty sure you can catch... Yeah. Catch that on the recorded Ustream part. It's just because this subject is unique. I mean, there's nobody else we're going to talk to about it. There's nobody else who's ever done it. And Well, now there is. Really? Yeah. It's Somebody replaced him. him. Really? Yeah. When, like recently? He quit in 2011. Okay. Well, that guy's... They backfilled, they backfilled like, the slot. The second person is just second fiddle. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado, we will tell you what's going on this week. We're talking to Arun Chathri. I know I got that right because I asked him. Um, It's hard to pronounce. But he wrote a book recently called First Cameraman, Documenting the Obama Presidency in Real Time. I'm sure you can use your imagination what that means. But he was the first White House videographer ever. He's seen everything. He's probably filmed President Obama in like every aspect of his presidency. I don't know. What What do you think about it, Roach? I was blown away by it because, and I think it came out in all my questions. I was sitting there going, okay, how do you wrap your head around this while you're doing this? It's the president. Yeah. How do you sit there and and keep everything within like that kind of stuff? But I mean, he was such a laid back guy. He was really cool. Answered all the questions with great answers. It was just a great conversation to have. I mean, I'm so thankful for this podcast and the fact that I actually get to sit down and talk to him because there's no chance that without doing this, that I'd ever talk to him, yeah. ever. And and the thing is, it comes through in his book, you read it and you realize how he's an individual. I mean, he is creative and he doesn't, he never really said, oh man, I'm around the president, I have to change. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this thing and I'm going to share it with the world and I'm going to do it how I see fit. And I love that. He didn't really change. Yeah. I mean, you got to take a look at the picture on the front of the book. It's him following President Obama with a video camera, and he's wearing New Balances with his suit. <laughs> I mean, it's it's awesome. And he's, he's got like his hair is kind of crazy. Yeah. I, he's the man. So we're going to turn it over to a run in a little bit because promise you're in for a treat. You'll hear some really cool things about the presidency that you might not have known and just about this this generation and what President Barack Obama did for the new way to market yourself. And I was going to say, and also what this new medium did for him. That's kind of what I was getting at, yeah. he, I mean, you can really credit a lot of his popularity with the younger generation because of the fact that he was so reachable via social media, via YouTube and all that other cool stuff that's out there. Yeah. I mean, it played a big role in getting him elected. So before we turn it over, I just wanted to say, make sure to check us out, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Follow us on iTunes, like go subscribe so you don't miss another episode because as you can see, our guests are getting better and better. We can see it in the amount of people kind of writing to us, telling us how awesome it is. So make sure to head over, take a look, contact us, anything you want to do. We're on Facebook, all that good stuff. You got anything there to add, Roach? 
Well, I'm trying to make things easier for everybody. So you'll notice there's now an Amazon tab on the top. So people that have ad blocker and that kind of stuff on their computer, there is now a image that links to our Smart People podcast affiliation with Amazon. So if you don't see the banner up at the top, you can always go to this tab. I added the Ustream tab. So if you don't want to go out to Ustream and find us, we now have the video and chat embedded on that page. So whenever we say, hey, we're going live, go to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Ustream and check us out on there. Let me let me follow up on that Ustream thing because I want to let everyone know what that means. You can watch us live. So you could have watched us interview a run. You could have watched us jump out of our chair when the interview was over and be like, dude, that was awesome. But you could have asked him a question. So... If we didn't cover everything you wanted to hear, we would have left five, 10 minutes open at the end for people who are listening. So you can do that right on our website. You stream, log in, chat. Easy as that. We have some awesome guests coming up. What's up? You look puzzled. No, no. I'll, we can save this for the outro. Okay. Yeah. Too, this is too much anyways. We're going to dive in. This is Arun Chathri. His book, First Cameraman, is amazing. And we think you'll like what he has to say. All right, Arun, well, first, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it, and congratulations on all your success. I know your book, First Cameraman, is just coming out, and it's it's amazing. We got an advanced copy, and uh, we're so excited to read it. So I just want to say thank you for that. Also, wanted to kind of dive in and talk about a main theme on this podcast is how people follow a dream, follow a passion, yours being kind of the arts and uh, photography and politics, and then getting to where they are, you being the first White House videographer, it's kind of new territory. That's really impressive. So I just wanted to ask how you got to that point, that pinnacle, and you know what made you realize that's what you wanted to do? Well, you know, it's a great question because it's a very convoluted path of how I got from point A to point B and a very unconventional path. And so a lot of times when people ask, I think they want me to say, oh, study this in school, take that test, talk to that fellow, and then next thing you know, you're going to work for the president. But that's absolutely not the case. And with me, it just started with a basic desire, which was a desire to mix film and politics. And this was a desire that I had from a fairly early age, uh, you know, in high school, but never quite worked out because there was no real traditional linkage between these two things other than journalism. And I always knew that that was something I didn't want to do. I always knew that I was not, I didn't, was at my heart, not a reporter. And so I kind of, you know, we say in film, and I'm a fiction film background person, that a character will change their tactics, but never their desires. And so I kind of, you know, even though I was frustrated as a fiction filmmaker, wanting to do more than just make movies about politics, to work in politics, uh, but no one really wanted to hear about that. So I sent in a lot of the very small races happening around New York where I was going to film school. Like, I mean, so small they were advertising for people, for filmmakers on Craigslist, you know, and I would go to these meetings and that's, I would tell them funny. my big, grand, awesome ideas and there was just no, never any connection or feedback of any kind. And so in the end, uh, after going for all these little tiny, small positions on these nothing campaigns, it turned out to just be a right place, right time thing where a good friend, Kate Albright Hanna, 
who knew about my desire to mix politics and entertainment and had been uh, working at CNN, was brought on to the Obama campaign as their director of video. And she reached out to me pretty soon after she took the job and said, hey, you know, I think this is a great way for you to get into politics. You know, what do you think of Senator Obama? And I was like, well, I think Senator Obama's pretty awesome. Uh, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, I moved to Chicago. So, you know, there is a lesson in there, which is, I think, don't say yes to things you don't want to do. Because if you do hang in there when someone's ready to offer you the thing you do want to do, you better be ready to jump on it. When it started to become apparent that you were going to become, you know, the first White House videographer after President Obama ended up winning the election, what types of thoughts were running through your head? I mean, how did you process that? And who was the first person that you ended up telling? Uh, The first person, uh, well, you know, it was kind of a... It was not uh, a moment. There was not a single moment where I went from being, uh, you know, the campaign videographer to the White House videographer. There was actually a transitional period called transition uh, during which I wasn't really sure about my future. Everyone really wanted me to keep, quote unquote, doing my thing, which was, you know, backstage intimate videography with uh, that senator and who, who had become the president-elect which is a mouthful of annoying to say, believe me. That whole transition period, president-elect this, the president-elect that, that was the worst. Have you ever tried to put president-elect in a graphic? This is not, this is not an easy thing. Um, but I didn't actually have a White House slot. Everybody knew that they were going to find something for me, but no one had quite figured out where I was going to fit in. And so unfortunately, I kind of entered the administration a little unprepared because I had been mostly worrying about you know, how I was going to get health care for my pregnant wife, you know, how I was I going to get a White oh, House wow. slot, how is this going to work. Uh, and I forget who suggested the photo office, um, but eventually, you know, Pete Souza and myself and, and Robert Gibbs, I think, was the main person we ended up kind of talking about how this might work, how this might all fit together. And uh, I was actually, uh, and I do really this in the book, I had let my hair grow very long uh, at first because I was lazy and it was a <laughs> campaign, and then because uh, I called it a haircut strike. I was not going to cut my hair until they gave me a job uh, at the White House. That's amazing. And uh, so, so a couple minutes after I found out that this was definitely a slot, it was definitely going to work, my health care was definitely going to kick in before my wife's next doctor's appointment, I uh, was walking down the hall of the EEOB, and I saw Eric Lesser, uh, who was David Axelrod's assistant, and he was asking me how it was going. Uh, and I said, really good. You're looking at the first official White House videographer. And he was like, well, I don't know exactly what that is, but that sounds like a good thing. Uh, and I was like, well, it's a great thing because now I can cut my hair. Uh, I wasn't planning on getting a cut until I got a job. And actually then David Axelrod walked behind Eric and just looked at me and was like, Ron, you've got to get a haircut. <laughs> and I'd like to say that that was the first time. Uh, that was the only time in my White House tenure that someone told me to get a haircut. But it's actually uh, only one of two. Yeah, I actually read in, in your book that Obama himself said, all right, you need to get a haircut. He made a joke about it. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it was funny because, you know, you're around all the time. You think you're sort of a fly on the wall. People always use that term. But the president's a very curious person. It's one of the, my favorite reasons uh, that I got to film him because I think there's no other way other than the kind of work I do to show whether uh, a leader to show whether a politician is curious or not. But, you know, he would sometimes get interested in what I was shooting if I wasn't shooting him. He understood why I was shooting him. But in this case, I was shooting a telephone to get some cutaways, something in the Oval. And he just kind of wandered up and was like, oh, what are you shooting? And then when I turned around to tell him, he kind of got a good look and was like, oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm totally honest here. I don't think it was just the hair. I think I hadn't shaved 
in like a day and a half or two days or something. I think it's a combination of the scruff okay. with the hair that kind of was a synergistic problem. But the, yeah, you better believe I got a haircut that afternoon. This is crazy to me. This is crazy. I, I, this is the president, man. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. How are you not like, okay, suit and tie, haircut, check, like shave. I smell good for him. You know what I mean? Like how I and through, throughout your whole book, you carry on the thing of, you know, you kept your individuality, your artistic nature, this is the president. I'm surprised you're not wearing Depends, wearing that you're going to, like, pee when you see him. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> you know, it, and I can't speak towards other White Houses, but he is so good. The president is so good at putting people around him at ease and letting them be themselves. That It just creates an atmosphere like that. I can imagine, you know, in other White Houses, you know, like Nixon White House or something, you know, just sort of <laughs> the, so described like the dark paranoia, all this stuff. That is just not what's happening in this White House. And I think when you talk to folks who work there for multiple administrations, like, you know, wait staff and stuff, and uh, they tell you the same thing, that there is an energy in this administration uh, that is very special. See, I, I have so many questions now around you being the, the videographer because – Video, I mean, it brings in another element that hasn't been there before, which is the constant recording of sound. So you're, you're constantly mm-hmm. recording audio and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what kind of challenges did you face compared to a normal photographer of the White House? Because there, you know, you're capturing a moment and people are, are kind of making assumptions of what, what all is going on in that picture with video, I mean, there is no making assumptions. You hear everything. You see everything. What challenges did you face around that? I mean, you hit it right in the head, right? Video is the, or motion pictures are the only art form that people believe are real, right? It's not, you don't bring any piece of yourself to it. You just observe it and take it in. And I think you also identified the reason for that, and that's audio. We, as human beings, take in so much of the information about what we think is happening through audio, and language is just the beginning of it. I mean, most of our indicators for fight and flight, all these things, are are sound-indicated. And so the difference between a picture of the president thoughtfully looking out a window, which you consider to insert in anything, and it's like, oh, the thoughtful, you know, we've all seen this picture of every president, right? And it's contextless except for what you bring to it. Is the opposite of a video in which you hear exactly what's going on, you know exactly what's going on, and if something is askew, it will read. It will read immediately. And so while you can have a photographer for a variety of different personality types, uh, I do worry about this position we've created translating into other presidents who are not, do not have the same temperament as Barack Obama. I mean, the right. fact, and you're sort of incredulous as I tell you this, these stories, and you should be. It's crazy that senior advisors, all these people would let the most powerful man in the world have some guy following around with a camera all the time. Right? This does not seem like a normal proposition, but it was only because every single person, including uh, the president himself uh, and all the senior advisors and everything, knew that he had this unique calm temperament, that he was exactly the same on and off camera, and that there was no weird stuff that I was going to get. I think a President Bachman or a President Romney uh, might not want a personal videographer. You know, they might not want that kind of attention. They might not want that kind of, if you're not just being yourself all the time, it would be so much effort to pretend. Right. Like the amount of time that I was around Barack Obama, if he was pretending, he would be exhausted. And frankly, <laughs> he's already exhausted from being president, so he doesn't need like, you know, 10 hour a day acting lessons from me. So, I mean, it sounds like there isn't stuff out there that doesn't want to be seen or, or anything of, along those lines, but I'd imagine that there's 
hours of, of footage that you didn't use in terms of posting stuff to YouTube or the whitehouse.gov or whatever website it may be. What happens with that footage? I mean, what happens with the unused stuff? Does it just kind of get trashed? Every, I mean, if you can't tell nope. us, I mean... No, no, no. Actually, it's all subject to the Presidential Records Act. And really? so every single frame of footage, every shot, every miscue, every blooper because someone stubbed their toe while they were trying to tell me something, <laughs> every everything, will, warts and all, goes in the archives. Wow. Um, it was actually one of the first meetings I had, and I was very good at ducking meetings at the White House with the government. You got a lot of meetings to go to, right? <laughs> the one that I was not able to get off my calendar of being like, I can't. I'm going with the president someplace. I can't. I mean, you know, usually can get out of meetings that way. Yeah. This was like, no, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what you're doing in your footage because there is a law here, and it's very important to us. And so we worked out, you know, that all the raw footage could go a certain way to the archives and that we would also be able to put the finished product in the archives. And then uh, my idea was also to put the project files in the archives because the idea is that the American public should know what people are doing on behalf of the president. So I wanted them to also be able to see my editing process, to know that there's not like I put this thing in and then taken it out because it's been sketchy. It's just, it's just not the case of what's happening. And I think there's a lot of ways because of this law that we can present that to the American people. Not right now. You know, I'll probably spend another couple of years getting, uh, you know, people being suspicious of my motivations on things. But uh, once all this stuff is released into the Obama library, hopefully in a way that's easily accessible and searchable, it's going to be an amazing resource for historians. And it's just not something that, that the president or his people are concerned about because we know what's in there. We know who this man is. And, uh, you know, so does America. I think it's why you find his numbers, you know, so stubbornly good in the face of yeah. an unbelievable onslaught of negative ads. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be something really cool because it, it will be the first time that we have all this documented footage around, you know, the president's life throughout his presidency. And I mean, you know, that blows my mind too because you are, I mean, you, you're part of history. That's amazing. And, you know, in a hundred years or whatever it may be, when people look back and say, oh, Arun was the, the first videographer for the White House and for President Obama, I mean, that just, that absolutely blows my mind. It's awesome. I mean, it's been a it's been a huge, huge honor for me. And you know, it's like you're when you're doing it, it, it you're busy. You don't really get a chance to think about it. I think one of the things that really made me put it all in perspective was a couple months after leaving the White House, when I got a chance to go over to the Smithsonian and donate my video camera that I'd used on the campaign and then shot inauguration with and stuff uh, to the historical uh, camera collection. And, I was, and they were like, you know what just happened when I, you know, signed the piece of paper? And I was like, no. They're like, you're no longer, it's no longer a camera in that box. It's now an artifact. That's amazing. That's and, unreal. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like goosebumps. You're yeah. like, ooh, Smithsonian artifact? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Your name, hopefully? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I just have one more, I guess, quick question around the videos and all that kind of stuff. Because I look at us, I mean, I'm 29, I'm part of this YouTube generation, and I love being on the internet, the computer, watching videos, all that kind of stuff. I just saw that Google put out stats around YouTube saying that we watch 4 billion hours a month, people are uploading 72 hours of movies a minute, but with that being said, I'm sure you heard the criticisms and stuff of, are we wasting money, our taxpayers' money, for having a mm -hmm. videographer, which was never done before, and they say, oh, only 15,000 people are watching these videos and so forth. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, all those articles are all quoting the same three people. Uh, okay. And actually, <laughs> the quality of journalism in America is not what it used to be. Right. So if you want, I can actually outline the whole thing for you because everyone who writes these articles doesn't ask me. 
and I like, oh, wow. you know, like there was this fella from the Washington Guardian who was like, you know, obviously trying to figure out what was going on with the budget and Western Week and how it all worked. But he like would obliquely hint at it in between like positive questions to try to like trick me into admitting things. And he was like, are you a federal employee? You know, which was <laughs> finally his final trap question. And I was like, yeah, that was a federal employee. <laughs> but he like didn't ask, you know, like that. Instead, really, we don't know where the money comes from. We don't know what it costs. So I can lay it out for you. Number one, more people watch my show than you think. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't think it justifies any kind of cost. But uh, the average 15,000 people who you know watch it, say, on YouTube, is augmented at least double by the amount of people who watch it directly off of uh, the White House player. And then lots of different Democratic organizations yes. sort of suck the file down and re-upload it. And it ends up being packaged for the American people in news programs and stuff because a lot of this initial reticence from journalists, once they saw what the product was, saw that I wasn't replacing them, they were like, oh, this is actually a good resource for us to use. So in the first two months of Western Week, there was this kind of uh, deluge of negative press with access, who is this guy? And a lot of these things you're talking about came out of that. But the actual fact of the matter is that Western Week was a passion project for me. Right. Uh, it had a crew of one, which was me. My salary was paid for out of the White House photography office. Um, there was not a slot created for me. I, it was not even an additional job. So my salary isn't even an additional cost. Actually, I just replaced one of the vice presidents, one of Vice President Cheney's photo editors. So the vice president's office had one less uh, photo editor gotcha. uh, for the Obama administration, which was a slightly hardship for them. But, you know, we thought it was important enough to try to include video to do that. And so I carried out my regular duties all day, documenting the presidency for history. But I wasn't satisfied with that. You know, I thought, there's got to be a way. What does history mean in the Internet age, right? Is it, what does it mean next week? Does it mean in a year? Does it mean in five years, in 50 years? And I thought this isn't just for generations past. I think this should be for people now. And so trying to figure out a way to present to them was what Western Week was. And yeah. this is a project that was totally created after hours. Other than sitting down within the media department to get some opening graphics, and using some of the Marine Corps band's music, which is, of course, public domain, <laughs> uh, it just was elbow grease. It was just me and the EEOB, oftentimes down to my underwear, screaming at a computer screen, you know, in the wee hours in the morning. Uh, you know, and, and so I do get a little hurt sometimes, like, oh, my God, this big production and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, well, I'm flattered that you think it's a big production, but it actually was literally just me cranking this thing out day after day, week after week. Right. And, you know, it blew my mind that I even came across articles criticizing that because YouTube was huge for President Obama and him getting elected. I mean, this medium moving forward is it's it's there to stay in one shape or another. I mean, I watch probably more YouTube stuff and more online videos than I do television. So when I when I see people criticizing it, I'm like, oh, these are people who are probably older and don't like new media. You hate it still exactly. And they had it. Not even they don't like it, but kind of don't get it. Like one of the main people, yeah. when they don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but is a Bush administration new media person who have actually been on radio shows with and is a very nice guy. But for instance, when he made Barney Cam, which I would consider to be a, you know, it's sort of glossy in a way, but like a much worse put together movie than I was putting together, it cost a lot of money. <laughs> like they actually spent a lot of money making that. Uh, because they wanted to be right, it was for the president, you know, almost a member of the president's family, his dog, uh, in a certain way, and I don't begrudge them that. But I think they thought we were taking those same kind of resources and devoting them to West Wing Week, week after week. Uh, uh, but that's not anything that would even be possible for us to do. Right. Hmm. 
And you know, it's funny because I have a couple questions for you and John and I differ in our interests. He's technical and techie and I'm like more, I want to know about the emotion behind it and all those things. One of the things that struck me. Final Cut Pro and a Sony F. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm assuming an Apple. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that struck me in your book, First Cameraman, is that you talk about how you've seen President Obama in so many different lights. I mean, in so many different events, everything he's had to go through. And you talked about how he had to console somebody. You know, you, you took a shot of him or you filmed him consoling a child who had lost a, a parent in one of the natural disasters that we experienced. Yeah, it was awful, yeah. And, you know, just reading it, I haven't seen the video or footage, but I could imagine how how much that would make you connect with somebody. And I wanted to ask you, and you know, this might be off target, you might not be able to answer it, but in your opinion, what was the hardest thing you saw him go through, given that you know his emotions? I mean, he carries himself amazingly, in my opinion, but you know, knowing how he handles things, did something stick out in your mind? You know, I mean, that's definitely his story to tell, and and it's definitely you know how calm he is. It's definitely not something you can see on the outside. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to sort of characterize moments where you could sort of feel that, where you could feel a little more turmoil than, you know, than than normal, it would almost always be a situation in which he felt someone was being dealt with unfairly in a bullied manner, Mm -hmm. even abstractly, you know. You know, if someone who's trying to take a pot shot at him instead taking a pot shot at immigrant kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and says something really nasty with the Dream Act, you know, you'd be like, ah, just it makes me mad that these kids are getting, you know, are in the crossfire. So that's kind of the kind of thing when I think when he sees what he thinks of as general meanness kind of strike people around him. You know, Sandra Fluke, I mean, this is why he, you know, everyone's like, oh, the president called Sandra Fluke. But like, of course he did because he felt like, this was someone who's being hurt in public and he wants to reach out to them. Right. And the fact that, you know, for every phone call he makes like that, we only hear about the ones where the people are on TV anyway. But, but that is something that I think um, that always struck me as just very, a very, very good trait, uh, but one that it was hard to capture on film. Uh, because of the sensitive sensitivity concerns with other people, sure. You know, which actually, which actually is an important thing about my job. You know, I had so few restrictions from the president's side because he was absolutely comfortable with the whole situation, uh, for all the reasons that we mentioned. But you have to also think about the people who he's meeting with. You know, in all kinds of different circumstances. Oh, right. It's not always just people who are excited to meet the president and don't mind that you're filming it. Sometimes it's people who have something unpleasant to say to the president and maybe feel a little uncomfortable because somebody filming them you know uh so you really have to try to be sort of emotionally intelligent yourself to know when to enter and exit a room and it really doesn't have that much to do with national security or the president it has to do with with regular people sure what was your learning curve like for that because like we mentioned you you seem like you know an outgoing guy somebody that doesn't really hold themselves back was it ever like okay i'm dealing with you know the president and some foreign dignitary i need to ease up or get this camera out of their face or something like that uh, you know sometimes you look up and you're like wow i was a little closer to that than i thought <laughs> <laughs> you were all that experience with the wide angle when you're shooting wildlife yeah you know and you're like oh yeah. <laughs> I, didn't realize I was that close. Yeah. Uh, that happened a couple of times. You look up and you're like, man, what am I doing? Um, but no, in general, uh, I think in some ways I've been very well served by not being someone who's obsessed with making documentaries, but by being a fiction filmmaker. So I really thought about what the reason for things was before I shot 
system and sort of, you know, to really understand the situation and not just to be shooting everything and figuring it out later. You know, so what is happening in this room? What's interesting? What's important? How can I break it down into shots? You know, not how can I just get access and keep shooting the whole thing, but how can I break this experience down into shots and establishing shots, you know, cutaways, and then whatever the A roll, whatever the action is that's happening. Right. And, and it, it becomes a discipline. And the learning curve for me was just very graceful because it started, it just, you know, I started out on the campaign, not on the plane. Uh, he had a very small plane. I was taking commercial travel and getting, you know, a night ahead of him and shooting a bunch of rallies and then, you know, getting on a plane and going to the next one. And all of a sudden, after South Carolina primaries, we were on the plane and we were a little closer or around a little more often. And then, you know, things start to build further and you're shooting more backstage and there's more videos to shoot. And, and so it, I really, I had this, just a gentle ramp up to the White House. And by the time I was there, it was sort of too late for us to be shy around each other, you know? Yeah. No, it's it's just tough to, for everyone else, just tough to imagine. But, but here's what it is. You know, but... Yeah. And you get a little jaded. You work at the White House, you know, <laughs> Air Force One, Colonnade, all this stuff. But the thing that humbles you every day, constantly, is seeing other people, regular people, come to the White House for the first time. Yeah. Seeing other people, regular people, meeting the president. The experience is so special for them that it reminds you exactly the title of the man you're dealing with and how important, you know, the seat of this government is to its people. That's a great point because, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about the fact that you go to work or you went to work at the White House, the, the center of the world, possibly. So where do you go from here? <laughs> I mean, you're, th you know, in your early 30s and you're leaving and you're like, well, uh, I guess I'll go home to my family and I'll just hang out. <laughs> well, yes, that's exactly what it is. You get there in the morning and you're grumpy and it's just morning time and you're walking into the White House and you're low into the gates and you're looking at the White House and it's all, you know, I work at the White House, here's where I'm going. Yeah. It's when you're going home, no matter how late it is, no matter how crappy it is, no matter how tired you are, but if you're not looking at the White House, you're looking out the gate at all the tourists who are looking in and taking yeah. pictures and wondering who you are and wondering what's going on inside the house. And so, actually, you always get a burst of energy when you're leaving the gate more than when you're coming in, which you think, oh, man, the White House, you must get totally jazzed up. It's like actually coming out and seeing those faces. That's what jazzed me up. That's, that's incredible. And then I know we're, we're getting close to the time here. So one last thing I did just want to ask you, um, kind of keeping with the theme of the podcast and everything, is taking what you've learned, you know, your skills, you got put into a position that is, is incredible and you did amazing with it. What are you looking forward to next? What did that kind of, you know, inspire in you, and what do you plan on doing? You have a desire to get mixed up in the politics, or I, let's say I desire to get mixed up in the politics because I was interested in history, you know, narrative, the way these things come together, you know, but I left the White House with an interest in public service, and that is entirely due to the nature of this administration and this president. You know, I really just you see everybody working so hard at all these amazing goals and you're filming it all. And then you get some pangs of regret at the end of the day where you're like, am I helping or am I just filming? You know? And, and so uh, at some point, I think it's the sort of spirit of public service that made me want to actually get out of the documenting for history mode and roll up my sleeves and get involved. Yeah. And I can totally understand seeing that, you know, from your angle. And I, I mean, more power to you. I think it's amazing. And as we mentioned, your book, First Cameraman, Documenting the Obama Presidency in Real Time, it's incredible. I mean, it really is. It's a, 
I feel like as I was reading through it, I feel like I was kind of looking through the camera at times. So I appreciate you kind of writing this and letting us into this administration. I wanted to ask you if there's, you know, a website you have or tell, tell our listeners about your Twitter account, where they can follow you once they, they read this and oh, find yeah. out how interesting. I'm trying to put out a lot of information, uh, you know, even not just in the book, but also what I call the DVD extras of the book, you know, some extra photos and some extra films and stuff like that. And that's all at firstcameraman.com, okay. which is the website we made for the book. And then uh, I would love it if people wanted to follow me at, at Arun Chad, A-R-U-N-C-H-A-U-D at Twitter. And, uh, you know, it's a great way to, to keep in touch on all these issues. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. Best of luck on everything you do in the future. Great book. We're going to recommend it to everyone and appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. It's really fun. All right, Aron. Have a good one. Bye. All right. I promised you that I had something for you for the outro. So here it is. How do we get people to watch and listen and participate on Ustream. You know, I always like this aspect. We benefit those that kind of hang around to the end. Check out the outro. And we're going to do it with another little giveaway. We were lucky enough to get three copies of Arun's book, First Cameraman. We read them in about a day because they were incredible. And we're going to pass them along to three lucky listeners. All you have to do is be one of three people to watch us on Ustream and ask a question. So we let you guys know on Facebook, soon to be the newsletter. We'll let you know, come watch us live, join in on the conversation. The first three people to do so, we're sending you a book and it's awesome. You don't wanna miss out on it. And it can't just be a question like, how old are you? Make it a, a poignant question for the interview that you know we'll in turn ask them. And then afterwards, Stick around in the chat room. We'll get your contact information, your your email address and stuff, and we'll shoot you an email so you can give us your address, and we'll get these out pronto. <laughs> yeah, and we actually have some old books from past guests, and we oh, might, yeah. if you're not one of the first three, but you're number four or five, six maybe. We'll have something for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll, we'll give Definitely. you something. Here in the works, Smart People Podcast is printing T-shirts soon. That's just what I heard. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, so we're going to have some of that for you. So, guys, thanks a bunch for tuning in. Thanks for joining the community. Make sure you check us out through all our mediums. Rate us on iTunes. Really important. We're trying to move up that list there. We have some incredible interviews set up for the future. Please join us. Follow us on Twitter, Smart People Pod. Later. Later, guys.